are listening to Total Reboot, the only podcast on the internet about movies. And if you're just tuning in, and why would you be? Why would anyone be just just tuning in now? Well, actually, maybe because of our guests. Maybe we've got some yeah. new, new or, it's, or it's your first day on Earth, you yeah, know? That's <laughs> true. You just landed here, grabbed the first pod you could. That's true. That's what an appropriate episode for you to have an existential crisis on immediately as the episode starts, Cameron. If you're just tuning in, we're in the middle of our Millennium Mindfuck miniseries. We're talking all about the movies that fucked with your brain that came out around the year 2000. I'm Cameron James. Joining me across the Zoom is Alexi Toliopoulos. Oh, my pleasure to be across the Zoom for this episode. Talking about a movie that I would say is one of the few in this miniseries that I have liked consistently the entire time since I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. totally. Couldn't agree more. Totally. Oh, we got a special guest on, Lex. You want to... Absolutely. One of my favorite people on this freaking green yes. and blue planet, it is Jared McGugan, Jared McGowan. Hey. The mic off. How you doing, baby? Good, man. Oh, I think. Yep. Good to be back in Hunk City on this side of the Zoom line, huh? Finally, yes. <laughs> for everyone, for everyone yes. listening at home, Jared and I are in the room together. Alexi is isolated in Blu-ray studios by himself. We're shirtless. Yes. We're doing weights. And I'm here dressed... In a complete tracksuit, the opposite <laughs> of you guys, oh, and I'm freaking bummed out. It is not because of any kind of disease that I'm away from you guys. It is uber difficulties. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I love that red tracksuit on you, mate. It looks great. <laughs> Thank you, mate. It's a Santa, Santa style tracksuit. <laughs> okay. They make me wear them during the summer. Yeah, you should make that your thing. Yeah, that's a good idea, actually. <laughs> That would be unique, I think. <laughs> yeah, it'd be really cool if I was a comedian that wore a red tracksuit around. That'd be real cool. <laughs> Jerry, we're talking today about... Uh, you actually really wanted to do this one. I'm fucking glad you're here to do it with us. We're, I did, yeah. We are talking about Spike Jones's Being John Malkovich. Tell us a little bit about your experiences with this film. All right, so the two films in this series mm. I, I remember mm. seeing that I, I when I saw this one and The Matrix, mm. after I saw it, I immediately rewatched it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Whoa. first time. Yeah, yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. what the fuck just <laughs> happened? Like, I, was just, I couldn't get over it. Like, this is the one. and then it was like immediately something I would just tell everyone about. It's like you got to see this fucking movie. Absolutely, it's crazy. Yeah, of course. Were you about the same, Alexi? Uh, pretty much. I remember seeing it like in my video store days, and it was when I was like watching most of these movies again or for the first time, and just like this is the one that really stuck with me. And I think it's because like Charlie Kaufman is the great modern American surrealist, where he is able to, like, capture something that's so internal, like, you know, just, like, the existentialism of just, like, the internal life inside your freaking head, and he's able to translate that into, like, an effective visual metaphor. Yeah. And this one, like, is so strange and so freaking weird. I I became obsessed with it. I couldn't get over, like, just on the rewatch how... I forgot how fucking funny it is. Like the the first like yeah, twenty so minutes funny. is just like everything everyone says is hilarious. <laughs> like, well, the guy, Kaufman is like he comes from comedy. Did you know? Yeah, that? yeah, yeah, I knew that. He's a writer for the he's Ben like Stiller a, show. And yeah, stuff. he's yeah. like a sketch writer and stuff. So mm-hmm. his brain instinctively goes to how can I find the funniest thing in every scene? Yeah, 
But then on top of that, he's like maybe one of the most depressed human beings. Oh, totally, yeah. So, so he can't help but find the sadness and the melancholy in it too. The only the only thing that is like slightly ruined in this movie is like after seeing adaptation mm. when Malkovich goes in Malkovich and you realize it's like there's just a bunch of bald extras. Oh yeah. Like, oh they yeah. They didn't have the technology to put his face everywhere. <laughs> now you can't not see it. No, I can't not see you're it. Like yeah. well, I look at everyone but the real John Malkovich yeah, in that I'm scene. Just like, like, oh, that guy's not even close. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just looking at a bald guy sweating underneath another bald guy's fake rubber head. <laughs> but I reckon you, you're absolutely right, Joe. The reason that this movie maybe lives on, and especially amongst people of our age group, is that you just talked about it so much yeah. when it came out. Mm. It's especially, so hard to describe. It's so it's hard, like... and it's fun to try and describe. And to someone who's you're telling about it for the first time, you're a bit excited to get to go... All right, so there's a portal that leads into the actor John Malkovich's head. Do you know John Malkovich? Have you seen Con Air? Yeah. He's... <laughs> All right, that guy. Yeah. But everything about the choice of him is like, yeah. it's flawless. Like it's he's so good. Just abstract enough. At the time, I thought anyway, they'd be like, you could, you maybe need to name two or three movies to a, like mm. a layman to be like, you know, this guy from yeah. blah, blah, yeah. blah. The... Oh, yeah. Which is know? like the joke in the movie too, yeah, right? Yeah. That no one can actually name a John Malkovich yeah, the, movie. The, the jewel heist. <laughs> yeah. I loved you in that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so weird now and especially because like we were like we probably all saw this movie maybe a couple of years after it came out right i guess so i guess I'll, it i think i probably a dvd watch yeah. yeah i think i saw it about yeah. 99 2000 i think it was a 96 or 94 95. i think it's a 99 this movie is 99. it would have been dvd 2000 oh yeah probably then yeah, yeah. i didn't see it in theaters i no. don't think anyone did I no think it, i think it did no. terribly right <laughs> <laughs> I think that, like, what is so weird about trying to talk about this movie and understand it, like, in its context is, like, I can't think of John Malkovich without this movie. Yeah, man. He's, like, humongous actor because he's got a movie named after him. (laughs) Yeah. I can't can't fucking wrap my head around how they could pick him. It's the most, uh, the, the biggest legacy of this film, and there's a lot, but I think the biggest one is that it turned John Malkovich from being a respectable actor into a living legend yeah. and into an yeah. icon. I mean, you're right. The movie's named after him now. He has, he's like a brand. When we think of Malkovich, we think of the poster of this movie. We think of the mm-hmm. scene where there's a million Malkoviches in a restaurant. It turned him into like a myth in yes. many ways. And now you could like get, that's the reason why he's in all these fucking, any movie that he wants to be. And people are like, oh, Malkovich. Yeah, he's a, he's widely acknowledged to be one of the greats. Yeah. But what was he before this? <laughs> I think this made it. Yeah, I don't think Absolutely. so. He was like a big theater guy and he was like, yeah, in blockbusters, I guess, but not. Yeah, he'd be, he'd done, he, he was in yeah, Mice and Man and like. Oh, yeah, true. That's what, which is one of the funniest scenes in the movie. He's like, <laughs> you know that movie where you played a retard? Well, <laughs> my cousin's a retard and. Yeah, I really liked it. That's like, so funny. What the fuck? <laughs> Why'd you come up to someone yeah. and say that? He's politely sitting there going, mm, mm, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and even like, he gave so much to it because like, I, I was on the rewatch, you're like, when they're running through his subconscious mm. and it's all this dark shit where he's like mm. pissed himself and he's yeah. crying and stuff. Like, man, you agreed to a lot for this. Like, to Absolutely. even suggest that that's like the bottom of your mind is just all this evil, crazy stuff. Maybe like, that's another reason why it was such a uh, like good, a good choice for him to do it, and it made him a bit of a legend in that way. Is because when you watch it, you can't help but go, "Oh, 
what a brave performance. Yeah. Like to agree to do this shit, even though there's all these dark lies and implications that he's a creep. Yeah. Oh, that's do... a, that's a definite undercurrent. <laughs> yeah. Like this, it's pretty interesting. Like for you know, I'm I'm very impressed, and I'm like you. I also assumed that maybe the original script was written like generically to be any actor that they could get. I always kind of thought that Kaufman would have gone, yeah, I've got like a list of yeah. names. Like, Surely, right? Being Al Pacino, being whoever. Like, mm. um, But no, apparently it was only John Malkovich. That's what, what? he wrote. That's what he wanted. And he said, if yeah. he says no, then that's it. it Scrap dies. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It doesn't move I forward. Also read, I always was like wondering, like, why though? Like, why couldn't it be anyone else? Even though he had him in mind, and part of it was like, yeah, it's the funniest name. It's the one that sounds funniest when they say it over and over again. <laughs> yeah, that might be true. Actually, maybe it is just the funniest one to like to have Malkovich in a dress singing Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. Malkovich. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> he bumps into Malkovich. <laughs> All right, look, we got to dive into this movie and talk about it properly. Let's do it. There's a tiny door in my office, Maxine. It's a portal, and it takes you inside John Malkovich. You see the world through John Malkovich's eyes, and then after about 15 minutes, you're spit out into a ditch outside of the New Jersey Turnpike. Sounds great. It's the craziest thing, Greg. No, it's just that the first time everything just felt right. Excuse me, sir. Exactly what uh, type of service does this company provide? You get to be John Malkovich for 15 minutes. I mean, it raises all sorts of philosophical type questions, you know, about the nature of self, about the existence of a soul. Being John Malkovich from the year 1999, directed by a man called Spike Jones. Now, Jerry, we're at a point in our show now where we play a little segment called Love That Logline. Go for it. It's a great segment where Alexi normally would find a synopsis from anywhere around the internet, read it out to us. We decide whether we love it or hate it, whether we rate it. But Alexi has decided today he's going to put a spin on it and he's going to make up a synopsis for this movie off the top of that friggin' dome of his. So, Lex, what have you got? <laughs> I'm accepting the challenge. I will begin thusly. A loser marionette puppeteer with no fucking hope in life despite immense talent is married to a mousy wife and has a very <laughs> sad life. He gets a crappy day job, and in that day job, he falls in love with Maxine, a beautiful <laughs> honey that reinvigorates his sad little life. But she thinks he sucks too. He then finds a portal into the mind of John Malkovich, a moderately successful character actor with two Oscar nominations. From there, they start charging people to, to do the same thing, to be John Malkovich. Is that okay? That was pretty good. Yeah. <clears throat> I liked the turn in the middle there where it, at first it seemed like a normal movie and then you revealed that there was a portal. That's pretty cool. Yeah. The portal is one of the key factors of this movie. <laughs> I knew it had to make it into the log line at some point. There's a portal in this movie? Oh, God. <laughs> Fuck it. I wasn't paying attention, I guess. <laughs> Jared watched Reds with Bruce Willis and John Malkovich, oh, the wrong movie. I just kept falling asleep. It must have been every time the portal was mentioned or something. <laughs> 
Hey, you raised a really good point there, Alexi. It's something I wanted to bring up, which is that um, I think it's a really good choice that Kaufman and Spike Jones made to not make the puppeteer character um, be shit at it. I think it's really good that he is actually very talented and very good at it and like kind of it he makes it beautiful and shit like he's a real artist but um no one cares and i think like the message Oof. the one of the big messages of the story is like oh brother i can relate to you that you're already famous no one cares <laughs> yeah i like it i think that this re- movie could be about podcasts yeah that really resonated for me i was sitting there going man me too i'm also like you but if i was a former like semi-famous AFL player, yeah. this podcast would be popping. Oh, dude. Yeah. We'd all be on... Yeah, there's a podcast where an <laughs> AFL player talks about old movies. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Can we all just agree as well, John Cusack playing out of his skin in man. this movie. Oh, <clears throat> man. Like, I'm so glad we're I, starting with Cusack, man. Oh, yeah. I think that this is one of the great castings. Like, this entire film is perfectly cast, and it's so many people where it is the weirdest and boldest performance of their freaking lifetime. And it's, like, a complete, like... I would even say, like, epitome and example of, like, casting with type in mind and persona in mind and then being able to either undercut it play to it play against it in very unique ways Mm. yeah because cusack's kind of like i mean now he does a lot of weird straight to video action movies or you know like weird thrillers where he plays the bad guy but back then he was kind of known for being he's an 80s heartthrob yeah 80s heartthrob Mm. but his thing in those movies was like he was a neurotic um like a bit of a, a bit of a mess, like a sensitive kind of nerdy yeah. guy who gets the girl type guy, <clears throat> and this is sort of that role. But they've turned it into. I watching it this time, I thought, oh, this is the the first time I ever saw an incel on a screen. Like he's so close, <laughs> yeah, to becoming that because he admire he loves women so much that he almost hates them. Yes, yes, yes. Well, it's mostly why well, he is. Well, he's married. Yeah, but he keeps getting cock blocked by a monkey. <laughs> so you know that'll that'll do it to you. That'll, I do, that'll do it. <laughs> it's also like he's. It's so funny, man, because he's kind of reprehensible. In oh this movie. my, he's so unredeemable. It's pretty hard to watch his... at a certain point. He's maybe the least likable protagonist I've ever seen. Like in any movie, there's a point, you know, at first you're sort of on his side. You start with him, you know that he's a struggling artist and, you know, he's forced to do this day job and blah, blah, blah. So you're with him for like an hour of the movie, but then there's a point where it just turns and he becomes sinister and evil and he like you know he locks his wife up in a, a cage, cage and yeah. shit. from there you can't go back <laughs> like i don't care what happens to him at this point yeah it's kind of an interesting choice it's so interesting because i think kaufman he writes so much from his own perspective and i think in his own mind if you look at every single one of his films anything that he's written there's like this outsider quality to a person that shouldn't really be an outsider at all it's just someone who's got such a depressed mind and the entire like vision out into the world is one from like this perspective of like forced loneliness and it just makes all of his characters especially this guy 
just feel so nasty and their selfishness is what is like their guiding motivation and until it becomes like all consuming oh so it's selfishness huge like i think the i was because i rewatched it again last night i think like the fourth thing he says to maxine is like i love you i don't know what it is like it's like that yeah. is psychotic <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. That's the question I was going to ask. Like, I know it doesn't really matter, but how long has he been working at Leicester Court before he tells her? I think it's day it two. Day? It seems <laughs> like it's either day one or day, day two. two. Yeah, he goes home and then he comes back and he goes, "I don't know what it is. I love you." He's like wearing the wedding ring. Like it's all. <laughs> he's just such a prick. <laughs> and as well, his attempts to be charming are so psycho and funny. Like when they go finally go get that drink. And he's, she's like, are you married? He goes, yeah, but enough about me. <laughs> yeah. Starts... I'll, I'll say that's a really funny line. I think yeah. that's oh. so funny. Oh, yeah. So I'm a puppeteer. Check, please. <laughs> Dude, there's so many gags in it. It's great. Oh, Do man. you know what I found almost like a logic-breaking thing in this movie for the first time? Because this movie is so singular, it was the first time I ever like applied any kind of cinematic, non-vacuumous canon to this film. And you know what's insane? This is the third movie that John Cusack and John Malkovich star in together. So what do we got? Of course, they're in Con Air yeah. together. Uh-huh. They're both in Con Air. But they're also in that Woody Allen German expressionistic comedy Shadows and Fog in 1991. I've never so heard of that. So it just seems weird like, that they're just, they've done, they work together. They're probably friends. They know each other. Dude, they're like the, so weird. They're the Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon of the 90s. <laughs> Classic duo. Well, you know, I I watched um the there's like a half hour, thirty five minute documentary behind the scenes doco by Lance Bangs. Yeah. It's so good. You watched it as well. Yeah, it's called. I love it's on YouTube doco. if you ever want to check it out. It's called All Nonconformists Please Leave the Set or, or something like that. All Noncombatants Please Clear Set. Yeah. Um, and it's you know, it's pretty sick because Lance Bangs he he has like a skate video background and he's kind of loosely tied to the jackass yes, guys so yeah. so it's like pretty funny and it's all handheld and looks pretty lo-fi and spike jones is very rarely sincere he's doing bits the whole time and like wearing wigs and being weird and shit very fun but you see cusack and malkovich hanging out between takes and they're like old friends you can tell they're old friends the scene where the Chicago guys, as yeah, well. they must Chicago. have known each other, right? I think Cusack did a little bit of theater too. Right? His sister mm. did and stuff. So, you know, the scene where Malkovich is walking along the the New Jersey Turnpike and someone throws a coke oh, can. At his head. So funny. <laughs> you see them doing that scene and like it hits him in the head and flies off, and Cusack's like, "Oh, Malkovich, bro, that was amazing." <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird to see them break character, and, and yeah. Malkovich is like, "That was great. The way it hit my head." Yeah. And arced off. That was an amazing. <laughs> you, you just accept the like. You know what's what do we say? The speed limit. There'd be sixty, seventy. Do you think you could pick John Malkovich at sixty, seventy <laughs> from behind? From behind. He's wearing a hat. In a hat. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Malkovich. Like, That's the funniest. It's hilarious. Funniest little joke that everyone knows who he is, but no one, no one can name a movie or anything. It's so good. Um. No, I'm with you. Like, Cusack's so... I think he's brilliant. We haven't really sung his praises enough um, on this show. We talked about him a bit with the movie... What movie was it? The one with Ione? Uh, Say Anything. Yeah, we talked about him in that, about, you know, how great he was in that. But And he is, but I just... I don't know what it is about him that he hasn't quite... He's not like... 
a mainstream guy. He's still like a bit. Yeah. You know, he does these weird straight to video movies now. Like, why didn't his career kind of go? I think it's because he has like a mysterious hairline. Like, it's like just not quite leading man. <laughs> but so does Nick Cage, you know. No, but that's like it's accepted. You know, anything could be happening there. Yeah. It's like that. It, it moves like the stock market, his hair. <laughs> that's true. But, but Cusack's is like, it's just not. Like, it's not Brad Pitt. I hair. feel like Cusack should have gotten more out of his career, like, post this movie. I feel like mm. there should have been... A Cusack renaissance. Yeah, I think so. He did have his time, but, like, he was, you know, big in the 80s, and then he had this, yeah. mm. and then he was... Like, between Say Anything and High Fidelity, like, he's got... Oh, he's an icon, but I yeah. think he's got, like, a dangerousness about him that kind of lurks. Like, I remember <laughs> there was an interview I heard with Danny Trejo, like probably a decade ago now where they asked him like who's the scariest guy he's ever come up against he goes oh man john cusack he's got this intensity in his eyes it looks like he's killed someone <laughs> yeah have you ever heard that no because danny Trejo was like a in jail boxer. for like <laughs> <laughs> he like he was yeah, in jail for manslaughter or something and like taught boxing in prison for 10 years or something and he claims that cusack is the scariest guy he's ever shared the screen with Well, the height discrepancy is huge Danny Trejo is like five foot. Yeah, John Cusack's, Cusack's like 6'4". <laughs> like, it doesn't matter how good you are at boxing, if you're only hitting the thigh. Yeah, but Cusack's <laughs> also... Because I, I read more about that quote. I wanted to know what he meant by that. And so years later, someone asked him to clarify it. Like, what do you mean John Cusack's the scariest guy? And he goes, look, Cusack has been studying Taekwondo since the 80s. And the guy that is his sensei is a guy that Danny Trejo knew from back in the day. And he's like, yeah, he's he's the toughest guy. Like, I've seen him in the dojo. I've seen him put people down. And, I mean, if you've seen Say Anything, he does it in that. That's what it's all about. The, um, just the, uh, like, I, like, personally, I'd be quite wary of anyone who just had, like, all puppets in the basement sort of thing, which is introduced <laughs> pretty quickly in this movie. Mm. Red flag, would you say, if you're... Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you're married to someone with puppets in the basement. However, if you're married to someone with Muppets in the basement, that's a good time. <laughs> that's a... Uh, that's a keeper, that one. <laughs> yeah, a puppet, freaky, a Muppet. Puppet, lovely. Cool as hell. <laughs> Imagine if he was just playing with Muppets the whole time. Everyone would yeah. be like, this guy... Rrr. I mean, it's a different movie. It's a different it? movie. <laughs> it's a different movie. <laughs> but, like, but also, you know, the red flag goes both ways because would you want to be married to someone who has, like, monkeys and... 9,000 animals. Yeah, like, yeah. tigers and shit in the in living a room. tiny, shitty apartment with no light coming in. He's obsessed with monkeys, man. I watched, um, I've watched a couple of Charlie Kaufman movies since watching this the other day. I, I Human Nature. rewatched yeah. Human Nature, which I hadn't oh, seen in a long time. I, the one I've never seen. I don't like it. Do it's you not, like it? It's not the best one. Yeah. No, it's not the best I, And one. I love Reese really Ivins. Yeah, I love Reese Ivins and uh, I love Patricia Arquette. It's just not as like, it's not as refined as his later work or whatever. And, but even Adaptation has that whole like Charles Darwin angle on it where it's, it kind of starts with the evolution of man and all that kind of shit. Yeah. He's obsessed with monkeys, this fucking yeah, yeah. guy. <laughs> I can't get enough of them. Yeah. And monkey POV, like yeah. going into the brain of a monkey and watching yeah. it learn how to untie yeah. a rope and shit. Um, 
Cameron Diaz, though, that I wanted sequence. to get this. That sequence is bizarre. So it's funny. So it was like the whole subplot of the monkeys repressed fucking. Yeah. Like, yeah. But so... that's like, that is the plot of human nature in a, in a 10 second burst of being John Malkovich. Yeah. It's He's bizarre. Kind of obsessed with like that life cycle thing. Like, mm. you know, adaptation ends with like the, that life cycle of those flowers. And it's got so much about like the entire history of man building up to a point where he's there for like just a three minute sequence for no reason or for heaps of reason, but it feels out of feels like out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. it's so weird. And that little monkey sequence where the monkey becomes like has an arc for like five minutes is crazy. <laughs> yeah, which is like we have no reason to care. It's not. It's like apart yeah. from it's just walking around the background. I like... think the purpose of it though is that it adds like poetry or something to the moment because obviously it's such a like plot device how do we get cameron diaz out of the cage Mm. oh yeah what if we make the monkey untie it that's fine we would probably accept that if that's all that happened or the monkey bit the ropes or whatever but to give it the it's like the monkey has been through this trauma and he's seen his brethren get tied up and so he's now like stepping up and being a fucking man and taking the ropes off it makes it huge. It yeah. turns it into an epic and like a poem. And it makes you, when you're watching it, go, oh my God, like we can all rise to the challenge yeah. and do something. If we, we can all it. go from monkey play to monkey business. <laughs> Dunstan's checking in over here. <laughs> Cameron Diaz, um, I think it's one of her best performances what, ever. So underrated as Fucking an actress. Crazy. She's so Amazing. good. Amazing. I love this performance. Like, I think she's a great actor. Like, she's phenomenal. But just this, she has like this innate eagerness about her and it's like usually channeled through truly the most like charming, bubbly effervescence. And I think just even the way that they construct her character, the casting of her, casting against like her type to channel against it and like the makeup job with like the frizzy hair that covers most of her face, it channels like that eagerness to be something completely different to be overwhelming to be like innately melancholic and sad but to be it's like the casting of it makes it to be desperate to break out of her sadness and find the things that she cares about and find the things that like bring her to life and bring her love that's such a good point yeah there's there's something i think her story ends up being the best one in Mm. in the movie because it's it comes from the purest place. It's not as selfish as John Cusack, like wanting to tie his wife up so he can enter John Malkovich's brain so he can fuck Catherine Keener. Which, by the way, has anyone been hotter in a film than she is in that? She's so beautiful. Maxine. I'm about to say John Malkovich. (laughs) (laughs) Catherine Keener in that movie, I I remember, might have been my sexual awakening. Yeah, she's so sexy. I was like, whoa, that is stunning. Weirdly, in that Lance Bangs doco that I was talking about earlier, she talks about how the studio didn't want her for the role. And I think they wanted her to play the Cameron Diaz part or something. Mm. But Spike was insistent that he wanted them to kind of like swap parts in a way. Yeah, And he said, you know, I'd actually think it would be more interesting to see Cameron Diaz play this type of woman. A frizzy kind yeah, of. Yeah, and to see Catherine Keener channel something that you never really yeah. see her channel, which is like this, you know, film noir, like it's kind like, of... She's like a fox. Fatale, like fox, She yeah. moves around like a fox, like in the yeah. movie. It's just so attractive. She's pretty evil in it too, I think. Like her character's oh, yeah. pretty sinister for the most part. She gets that redemptive arc at the end in the final mm. 20 minutes or whatever, but 
she's fucked really like she's really toying with this yeah. guy and, you, and toying if, with the girl too. if you got me you wouldn't know what to do with me oh it's just like come oh. on that's Jeez, true man. i wouldn't I think that's, <laughs> that's so much like for me on this rewatch what this movie is about like it really feels like it's completely about that the one-sided nature of love like regardless of if love is mutual and it is met between two people it is still completely from your one perspective and i think that you know it's about this group of people that interchangeably love each other or only love each other one way and it's not reciprocated and I think that, like, having Catherine Keener be, like, this kind of manipulator, selfish manipulator behind it all, it's so interesting, like, seeing it through that lens now. Mm. Totally. Because I'd, I'd nearly say that um, Cusack and Diaz, they, they're kind of on the same level of mm. bad until they're not. Like, yeah. he's doing the puppet, she's got all the fucking animals, and mm. then, like, he loves Maxine instantly, so does she. Mm. So they're both, like, kind of... It's, yeah, they're like true, like you, Like you're saying, they're both, like, just... They both have one-sided love desires, but then he flips into, yeah, just absolutely. I'll do anything, and she somehow like goes the other way. But then you know, pretty early, she knows about Malkovich and the portal mm. with with the Lester, mm. and keeps it to herself. So That's like, true. I actually hadn't viewed it from that perspective. Yes, yeah, so I think they're kind of both bad until he pulls away. <laughs> and then there's that exchange a bit later in the movie where you know he's mad that she has slept with Maxine Maxine um, as she's Malkovich and and he says well I never cheated on you you know I, yeah. you know and she says yeah but you would have and yeah it's like yeah. yeah true yeah mo- emotionally <laughs> yeah yeah two minutes into the movie yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's more desperate to cheat on her than anything in yeah the world. but like, you're right a, she is the yeah. one who does it first I guess which is yeah it's interesting but, 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 like, but why is moment, it that I feel less judgmental of Cameron Diaz's character in this movie. I would say like part of it is like John Cusack is like desperately like scheming to try and like cheat on her and like he's found love somewhere. Like this movie is about a guy that falls in love with someone that's not his wife. But I think when she sleeps with Catherine Keener as Malkovich, there's like this beauty of like someone finding the essence of who they are. And so it doesn't feel like ultimate betrayal because she's already been betrayed by like the least likable guy on the planet. That's true. We've yeah. already seen him sneaking around <laughs> telling her, telling <laughs> Catherine Keener he's in love with her and shit. Yeah, and this the sex scene between like Diaz Malkovich and Catherine Keener is played as beautiful. You know, like it it ends with her kind of like orgasmically falling out of the sky and landing mm. on the road and like staring up at, at, at the clouds in like, Oh my God, ecstasy. It is kind of played like lovemaking rather than fucking. Yeah. Whereas mm. when Cusack fucks her, yeah. as Malkovich is like, move Touch your hand breath. across her tit. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, fuck. Malkovich is the other <laughs> greatness of John Malkovich in this movie that I'd never appreciated before was how distinct he plays himself as himself to how he plays himself as being controlled by Craig, the John Cusack character. Like, it's a complete different, like, it's the the way that he plays himself as being puppeteered by someone else is so different. Like, the way that he talks 
is uh like his voice comes out in weird ways instead of just like the precision that we know John Malkovich's voice to be like, I want it, I want it now. He's like, mm. whoa, whoa, like all <laughs> up and down. It's so bizarre. Yeah. I love the growing the hair out. It's just like the funniest thing to me. Like, it's just like, as soon as he gets control, he's like, I'm going to grow this hair out. I'm going to get the pony back. Yeah. Oh, and ponytail on a puppet. Is there any more sinister? <laughs> In the world. Hey, you know, Alexi had a ponytail back in the day. Oh, did you? I did. I think when we first met Jared, I was rocking a little bit of a ponytail. um, But, you know, I chopped it off because I sat next to another guy on the train that also had a ponytail. And I was like, well, everyone on this train must be thinking that we're hanging out. (laughs) So I was like, yeah, as soon as I got home, I was like, yeah, call the hairdresser. Got to get this professionally done and start again. How long was your ponytail? Not that long, no. Like it would have. It was just like a little fishtail out the back. Yeah, like I couldn't swing it around when it was oh. tied up, but it would be flat. I just don't understand the instinct to grow your hair out in that way and then tie it back like that. It's such a look that I've just never yeah. been drawn to. I don't know if I could ever go back. So who was your I inspiration? What was... Like, what led you to the pony? Was it? Cusack in this movie. Yeah, Cusack in this movie. It was Cusack. I got to get that beautiful person inside me to pilot me, dude. It'll be piloted by the Cusack of my own imagining. Yeah, so Malkovich, it's a fucking tour de force of a performance. And I think that that's, you know, probably why the movie lives on. Because there's... I'll be honest with you guys. I like this movie. I think it's very funny. I think it's so unique and so cool. There's no way I couldn't like it, right? But as far as a Charlie Kaufman movie goes, and especially as far as a Spike Jones movie goes, I like it. It's near the bottom of the list for me. Really? Yeah. I, Is that because you hold Jackass in such high regard? I do love Jackass. <laughs> I do put Jackass pretty high. Um, but no, I think Spike, this is his first movie. Yep. Mm. He mature. He really matured as a filmmaker after this, and his last few films have been transcendent to me. I think yeah. they're really fantastic. I think he's finding his voice here. He finds it so much clearer in adaptation. It's mm. adaptation has a warmth. That's my a brightness. Fa- that's my favorite movie. I, I re- yeah, it's I, so good. Right? So funny. Yeah, like just yeah. Every. And it, and it's like it's as cynical as this movie, but it's. It feels hopeful in a way. Like it feels nice. It looks nice. It's, I don't know. I think Spike has an inherent sweetness to him that doesn't come through in this movie, but it mm. does in other ones. Yeah. Um, having said that, I think that I'll never not like this movie because of a number of reasons. But key among them is that John Malkovich's performance is so. It's it's truly like masterful. I think anyone who wants to be an actor should watch it and go, yeah. look, this is how you can play with your persona. This is how you can embody other characters. Because he gets to do the Malkovich thing, where he, like you were saying, Alexi, where he's being John Malkovich. But he also gets to play... He do, does like a fucking parody of John Cusack's incel nerd. Mm-hmm. Then he also gets to be like in, inhabited by like 50 people at once. Mm-hmm. And he gets to be puppeteered like like he's fucking me, myself, and Irene or something like that. <laughs> like moving around out of control. The physical dance as well, where he does like that puppeteered like mood piece oh. dance is mm. so interesting. I found it so moving this time. Yeah. It's really, yeah, special. Yeah, it's, a, it's fucking it's outrageous. Been, yeah, the beat for beat, the same one at the start. The yeah. tumble turn, you're like, man, he's kind of an old guy there, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like flipping around and... It's, yeah, I loved it. 
it's so like I never appreciated how truly brave this movie would be to be John Malkovich and to say yes to this film because if this film is a disaster, it would end his career like the it unredeemably end his career and like if, if it was first time director. Yeah. Like, the chances of that, high. I don't know if it would have. You know, I think people... He's a really great actor. I think people mm. would always be able to look at it and go, yeah, the movie stank, but he's good, or he's putting yeah. in the effort, you know? You'd hope so. And we've seen so many other movies now, since this one, where people have played themselves or a version mm. of themselves. Um, and they're fine. And all those movies suck ass. There's that one with Paul Giamatti. There's that one with... Oh, I kept on thinking about that Cold Souls Paul Giamatti one while watching this. <laughs> like, there's so many of these, like, fake... These Malkovich ripoff movies that no one likes. Have yeah. you ever met a Cold Souls fan? Have you ever heard of Cold Souls? No. I'm not a big Giamatti guy, but... Oh, oh no, Jared. He. I love I him. Ha- yes, Jared. I'm yeah. so happy you but don't like Giamatti. I, I do like American Splendor, which is... A, yeah, me too. I like that movie. I think he's There's one of the always greats. exceptions to the rule. Yeah. He's, he's not he's... one of the greats. Yes, he is. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? He is me? one of the greats. He's no fantastic. Way. Tell me any time that he doesn't uh, elevate the script when he's on screen. He elevates it. I just okay. rewatch fucking straight out of Compton, dude. There's one <laughs> off the top of my fucking head. He meets the script on that he, one. He, 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 <laughs> oh, he, he denigrates the script. <laughs> no, no, there. no. He's pretty good in that. Spitting around like a little piglet. No thanks. <laughs> I just rewatched Thirty Rock during uh, over the Christmas like break over the lockdown, and he's in an episode of that, and he's so funny in it. It's unbelievable. I think. Mm. We got to do a Paul Giamatti mini series. I got to get oh, you God. on my side. Here. That's a hard sell. That's a hard sell. <laughs> it's oh, a hard actor God. to get people into. I keep telling my wife, like, how good's Paul Giamatti in this? And she's like, ah, I just it's because he's a hideous freak. I just don't want to look at him. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Hey, I've got some real interesting quotes from Roger Ebert about this movie that I want to read out because it, it was also another like reason, like how I'd never kind of like trying to understand what this movie is about. He's got this great quote. He said, why are people so eager to enter his brain for the novelty above all spend a lifetime being yourself and it would be worth money to spend 15 minutes being almost anybody else. Very true. And I think like if the movie was just, you could enter someone anonymous's brain, it would probably still work in many ways. It would still Mm. be a cool premise and uh, you know, as a plot device that would hold up. But but the fact that it's like a semi-famous guy mm. <laughs> makes it so much more interesting in a way. Like the way <laughs> I, that this guy navigates the world <laughs> with people half knowing him and shit. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I love with that scene where they, they get the first like customer and he's like, oh my God, Malkovich was my second choice. Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> it's bizarre. Oh, that, that guy, by the way, is a mate. That's that fucking... guy rips. That guy's so good. He's um. So it's two hundred dollars. Yeah, like, yeah. I just always felt that. So it's two hundred dollars. That guy is um Frank and Beans from yep. the song <gasps> about Mary. Oh my God, it's yeah. Frank and Beans. And then, Holy shit. He's in Deadwood as well, and he's in Scream. He's the cameraman in Scream. And the guy that stops Malkovich is a uh, Stanford. The oh guy yeah, from Sex too. And the City. yeah, Willie Garson, rest in peace. We love you, Willie baby. Yeah. Oh, is he? Oh, tragically, we lost him. Tragically, we just lost him Re- within months. Ah, oh, COVID. That is tragic. So, yeah, yeah, that's poor tragic. Willie. But yeah, that's I. I love that. It's sort of a world where, and the logic's a bit off, but it's a bit sketch comedy, which I like. Mm. Where 
people either have no idea who he is or they love him. Like people yeah. recognize him from behind when they're throwing cans at him. Oh, and some God. guys like, yeah, there's, he was my second choice. Like, there's, there's some crazy details in yeah. this movie. Like when he first goes in, he accidentally snaps a bit of the architrave mm, off around the door. Mm. And then it reappears after he's done like 10 yeah. years in the brain at the end. I think that's so, that's a really beautiful moment to me where like he's out, he's out for good and that bit of wood is out with him too. Yeah. Like it's gone. Because when you remember he talks about, I think initially they it's it's posed. They're like, well, I was wearing a hat. Where's the hat yeah, go or whatever? Yeah. And it's like, it's in there. Yeah. It's somewhere in there. And I guess it just floats around the bottom. Yeah. And then when he was so far deep and, and moved, it, the shit came with him. This is also the first time that I realized you know, when Kina and Diaz go into the brain that they're being pushed into his subconscious. I don't think I'd ever really clocked that when I was younger. I just, I thought it was just a trippy sequence. Like, yeah. like the portal was flipping out because two people were going through it once or something. But it really does raise those questions, doesn't it? Like, what is the brain and how can you, yeah. where do you compartmentalize things? And, and in and in that case, where is Cusack in the brain? Like he's like he's right behind the eyes. Some, like, yeah, it's like a, a higher function. Yeah, it's just kind of. Yeah. It's a funny, like it's such a fake, high concept idea, but this movie grounds it in such a real way where it, all it takes is two or three little bits of explanation from that old guy Lester. Yeah, that I believe it entirely. Oh. I'm like, oh yeah, this could happen. <laughs> He is. We could live forever in a vessel. He yeah. is so funny. That guy's great. He is huh? so funny. He just like <laughs> holds up an R and a squiggle, and he goes, "That's a that's a squiggle." Ah, you're good. That's Every, that's a everything sketch, with hey? him. I love and the, the probably the hardest like laugh that I think about whenever I think about this movie is the introduction video that they play in. Like <laughs> when he comes in, he goes, <laughs> he's like, "Get out of here, you foul beast!" Yeah, yeah. And like, your story has warmed my heart. <laughs> I shall make you my wife. <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny. That's like SNL or something. It's such yeah. a funny little like office sketch or something. Because didn't you didn't you have a job as one of those actors for office? Yeah, videos? I did. It made yeah. me think of you when I was watching. I was like, yeah, I remember Cam used to do this yeah. for a bit. Like, when I first moved to Sydney, I got a job <laughs> <laughs> acting in um, office training videos and in office training scenarios. Yeah. Oh so live, God, about live this. in front of the office workers, <laughs> like their their boss would be like, it was like you know in the office when they have that HR training guy come in and run them through scenarios it was like that so like the right. the hr guy would go okay so what we're about to see now is an example of sexual harassment in the <laughs> office so just be warned these are trained actors this is not real and then me and some girl would walk into the room you dressed- grab her took her <laughs> like have to go like Hey, babe, and shit like that. Like, hey, honey. Hey, uh, uh, I thought you'd come hang out with me on the weekend and stuff. <laughs> Just in front of all these office workers who... Oh, my God. It was one of the more humiliating... <laughs> I had to do... I had to run through sexual harassment, uh, racism. That one was hard oh, to wow. do. And Oof. just generic abuse. And it was like... Geriatric abuse, did you say? Oh, I wish. Oh, I'd give those old fuckers hell. <laughs> It was one of the most uncomfortable jobs I've ever had. I did, and I, when I think about it, in my head, I probably only did it. Mm. I, I feel like I only did it for a week, but when I look back through my emails, I did it for like nearly a year. Fucking so just funny. off and on. Oh my God. <laughs> I always thought like the hardest job for an actor would be like undercover agent or cop. I reckon this is way up there. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It's pretty awful. 
And then you're just in the break room with them afterwards, having your lunch and yeah. shit, while they're oh. like having their office lunch, <laughs> laughing about how lame the act outs were. Go back to your wife after you've fake sexually harassed someone who's <laughs> sitting next to you, halfway through a ham tuna sub. <laughs> ham and tuna, okay, very interesting sub choice, Jared. Yeah, I'm so a crazy guy. There's a lot about you. I'd hate to, I'd hate to walk around in your brain for 15 minutes. Mate, I, I can't stand it. I wouldn't wish it on you. <laughs> but I think uh, like with that portal and with the idea of living in a vessel for a little while, I think that the ending of this movie, this is where I start to detach from it a bit. I think it's pretty great mm. up until it gets to the point where there's 50 people that are now going to live inside John Malkovich um, for the rest of time. Mm. I think that that is really fucking sad and also mean, you know, like John Cusack has been in there fucking around, growing his ponytail out for a year. Mm. He finally leaves and Malkovich has this nice moment on the street where he like touches his face and he looks at himself in the mirror and he's like, I'm back. I can't believe it. I've got agency of my body again. Mm. And then seconds later, 50 people walk through the portal and he's like lost again. And I just find that incredibly depressing. I think when I was younger, I found it funny and ironic. But now as I'm getting older, I'm like, this poor fucking man is just being abused. And like, he has no agency in his own life anymore. I find it really depressing. Because he was born into that bloodline. He didn't mean to. Exactly. He just just like, it's now like has nothing to do with him. And then the, of course, like the, the biggest, you know, ending, the big ending with Cusack, uh, showing up in the brain, trapped in the brain of the daughter. I was thinking about that. Is there a fate worse in any other movie? I don't think so. And that's another reason why this I, this movie leaves me on a dark note, I think, because yeah. it's really fucking sad. But he is like an irredeemable little prick. Of course. He's so an asshole. Does he deserve he it? He doesn't. He doesn't to live his life in someone else's brain forever. I don't think he uh, deserves... I think it's... I think it's almost like a goosebumps ending. And that's the reason why I've never truly like clicked with it. It feels like a little joke at the end of the movie, like a little cosmic joke that look, this guy who was so evil, he's now forced to live silently inside the brain of a little girl where he has to watch the two loves of his life be happy together forever. And then what? Like it, they they well, they imply that he'll be absorbed by the brain at a certain point, and he'll have no. It's like he never existed. He doesn't. He's not Cusack sitting inside her. He's just her now, right? Like, well, like she's him. I kept thinking about like he he can't eat, he can't drink, he can't piss, he mm. can't sleep. Mm. He's just there. <clears throat> yeah, like that's why it's the worst fate. Yeah, like, but you, you know, you never get a break from it. I mean, it's that, and he's watching Catherine Keener and Cameron Diaz be happy, and and that's the only off. show on TV. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You know, you can't even close the eyes that you don't have. I think that's so depressing, and that's yeah. uh, it's to, honestly like when I was younger, I thought it was great, and I loved the dramatic irony of it and everything. But now I just get so sad when I watch that. But and I don't know what that did. Lock says. his wife in a cage. <laughs> yeah, true. And he is gross. He is a gross-looking guy. <laughs> I also think it's so sad when you're like, because it's, it's played as happy in the movie, where you know, in forty years' time, freaking that's what John I Malkovich, about, yeah. Charlie Sheen, and freaking Gary Sinise, perhaps, are going to inhabit this little girl's head. Plus the yeah, additional yeah. fifty, right? 
Yeah. That's true. I hadn't thought about that. So that's what's like... Or are those 50 babushkaed in as Malkovich? I don't know. I, I, I assume so. Do they all become one in so there? So Malkovich will go into the daughter. So that's the 50 inside there. Yeah. Traveling through. And then is Cusack still there? Or is he just in brain jail? Or yeah. Or is he absorbed? Or... I don't know. Because it... He can't feel them. He's in a different room. <laughs> yeah. head or something. But I mean, it's all fucked up. He got Charlie Sheen wandering around in a girl's body. That can't be good. <laughs> I you mean, how... Gary Sinise, oh, I trust, your... but not <laughs> not Charlie Sheen. for the veterans out there, so we want him in the head. Gary Sinise but... is another one of my guys. <laughs> no, one, no one's ever on board with him. Yeah, I, can't, I can't co-sign I that. I love Sorry. Gary Sinise, man. <laughs> you know how Charlie Sheen was cast in this movie? Was originally, this role was written for Kevin Bacon, and he turned it down, I guess because it was too weird for Kevin Bacon. Oh, that's but then, interesting. M- Malkovich cast Kevin Charlie Bacon play a pedophile? Yeah, he's done <laughs> some pretty weird shit. I don't want people thinking I'm rummaging around in brains. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, Malkovich, like, it was Malkovich's choice because he thought, who would be my confidant? Who would be the person that I would go to for these? And he was like, oh, it would be great if it was Charlie Sheen. He never met him before. He was just like, oh, Charlie Sheen would be great for this role. Are Is they it... the same era? I mean, Sheen came up in the 80s. He's probably closer to Cusack. I think Malkovich might have... Well, yeah, it's hard because he's right, bald, yeah. but I reckon he might have five to ten years on him. Yeah. Mm. And also, this is like... Maybe not, but... At this point in Sheen's career, this is like post-Hollywood Madam stuff. Like, he's yeah. been outed as that as like a fuck fun. Is this fuck pre- fun boy. <laughs> Pre-Two and a Half Men. Pre-Two and a Half Men. So, pre-winning, obviously, yeah. Tiger. We're Boy talking election. Hot Shots too. Yeah, but he's known as a... F- Party boy, right? Like yep. at this point. So is the casting a joke? Like, is it like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if John Malkovich's best friend was this animal? Mm. I think Malkovich was just like, my life would be more fun if Charlie Sheen was my best friend. Yeah. I wonder if they did become friends after this. I don't know. I can't imagine. <laughs> I don't think so. If I was a <laughs> gambling <York> man. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, it's fun though. I think it's a cool little like cameo. It adds something to the world. I mean, it adds more than Kevin Bacon, and I like Kevin Bacon. It just sort of yeah. broadens. It makes you rethink who Malkovich is when you're like, his best friend's Charlie Sheen? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Maybe I don't know this guy. Yeah. Well, it was a pretty bad ball cap they threw him in at the end there. Yeah, they'd done him, they'd yeah. done him no they, they good. Did it, they did him dirty on that one. <laughs> it's, okay. it's like, it all, like it's all forehead. It was like in The Simpsons or whatever when they do like a flash forward to the future and Bart's got a comb over and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like it looks so fake. <laughs> but yeah, very oh, very sad ending. And I think uh, honestly for me that, I don't know. I, I it's I'll never say I don't like this movie, but I will say that the last ten minutes bum me out. Yep. Every that, time. That's fair. Yeah. And it's I it's maybe I, the reason it's not higher on the list for me. To me, I think I've come around. I think that this might be I watched this and adaptation both last night, and I think I prefer this to adaptation now, because I think in a way, adaptation makes this movie better by just exposing us to the person who writes this film. Yeah. I think it ruined it a bit for me, which I've explained. But yeah. That, yeah. That that one scene, which I, was like transcendent when I saw it the first time. I'm yeah. like, all these men. And now I just see extras. It's just, yeah. it fucked it for me. It's interesting you know that... That is real, Jared. That's yeah. That's in the documentary. That's, that's not scripted. That bit where Malkovich is going, all right, no fucking around between takes. Where really? Where everyone's in masks here. Yeah, that's a scene from the documentary that we were just talking about earlier. You see... 
a lot of that yeah. scene in the documentary. And that's a big set piece of it is that Malkovich kind of does like, he come off as a dick in it? Uh, so I he is being diverish, but it's in it's on behalf of the extras. So I think it makes yeah. you like him. At least oh, to me, because he's okay. going like everyone here is in forty pounds of makeup and they're all wearing their masks. So let's not mm. waste time. Let's just get the shots and then move on. Gotcha. It's actually and then he pretty gets cool. The laugh going, I like the titties that I'm wearing. Yeah, so he I don't says mind something like with that. these guys. Yeah, yeah, it's it's cool. It made me like him more. But that was that was cool to me because when I saw that doco the other night, I thought, how do I know this? bit of dialogue this is crazy and then i rewatched adaptation yeah that's where oh, it they is. repurposed it for that yeah. um yeah look it's look for anyone who hasn't seen it <laughs> and i don't know who that would be it's a 20 year old movie um yeah give it a shot chuck it on it's pretty good <laughs> before we wrap things up cam should we give away an oscar to best supporting uh best character actor on this show definitely i know you've got someone in mind I got someone that I would absolutely love to give an Oscar to. I There's an actor in this movie who plays Florence, uh, the secretary of Mr. Lester or oh. Dr. Lester. Mm. Uh, Mary Kay Place. I think that she is one of my Mount Rushmore character actors. She pops around a lot. She's in lots of great movies. But every time I see her, I just think she is so funny and can bring so much like heartbreak to a character. But her is just a lady who can't understand anyone and thinks everyone else has a speech impediment. So funny. Oh, I'm sorry. I have no idea what you're saying. It's such a funny... The funniest line. (laughs) It's also, like, it says so much about how detached from reality this movie is that Lester... Gaslit Lester believes it. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, oh, that poor woman. I don't know how she puts up with my speech impediment. You're a kind boy for saying that. (laughs) Like, that's a really nice early moment in the movie that makes you go, whoa, this movie is not grounded in, like, the real world. People yeah. are floating around in a different space here. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's, such a great she's very funny in it. And she gets I, to be married to John Malkovich at the end, which is nice. Yeah. Hang she's out with uh, also Sheen. great in The Big Chill. She's, like, one of the leads of The Big Chill. She's so cool. Do you know, I've never seen The Big Chill. I think it would be an instant favorite, Cam. Just like being John Markovich, recommend chuck it on, brother. Chuck it on. <laughs> Check it out. Chuck it on on a rainy day, you know. Yeah, perfect rainy <laughs> Isn't day. Isn't Kevin like. Bacon in the big chill as the body? Oh, is that no, Kevin Costner? Kevin Costner. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's all I know. Costner. That's all I know about it. And that has a Motown soundtrack. That's yeah, you would love it, dude. Chuck it on, brother. Chuck it on. I'll give it a shot. Uh, hey, for our final segment, total reboot we got to reboot this movie okay so jared we've been given the rights by the film studio charlie yep. kaufman has signed off on it we're allowed to reboot we're allowed to recast we're even allowed to retitle this movie mm. if we want who what actor would we choose well, to make a being john malkovich about it's a no-brainer i think okay being steve shrimper <laughs> Bobby Buckala. Bobby Buckala. I love that. I actually think Steve Shriper. That's a great choice. I think that's so good. I thought about it for ages. That's such a good choice. It's such an out there choice. Just even the scenes of like jumping into his head and you're sitting across Michael Imperioli looking annoyed at you doing a podcast about the Sopranos. That's so funny. Because he's like prestige television. 
He's mm-hmm. people would know him, but people would also not know where they know him from. Yeah. There'd be losers coming up being like, "Dude, I love The Sopranos," and there's other people being like, "I know what have I, what have I seen you in? Were you in Mickey Blue Eyes? What have I seen you in? I yeah, from something." <laughs> That's a great choice. Yeah. And also he's like argumentative. I can imagine him getting angry at people, which is great. Yeah. And he's like an actor kind of. Like he's around a <laughs> yeah, little bit, yeah. but yeah. he's like he always He's a security guard like talent agent that became an actor. Yeah, yeah. he was like kind of a comedian that he ran a club. Yeah. Like his life yeah, it was is like booked talent for a Vegas club yeah. or something. <laughs> it's the perfect choice. <laughs> and cruise ships or something, right? Like he's had he's a weird he is kind oh. of an actor, isn't he? Sort of. <laughs> what is he? Let's get in there. Let's find out. <laughs> He's a podcaster now. Shit. It'd be so Damn shit it. to go I... on someone's brain just watching them do a podcast. <laughs> be like, oh, fuck this. I would never wish that <laughs> upon our be, listeners. To not be in control of it, just hearing him interrupt David Chase and Steve Buscemi. <laughs> like, shut the fuck up! <laughs> screaming, shut the fuck up. Should I be head. standing here? Should I be here? Like... <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Dude, thank you so oh, much man. for joining us on this episode. No, thanks, Dave. I love I love this pod, and um, I'll come back anytime you have me. Well, we love you, and we're big Mug Off fans. We love the Mug Off. All our listeners should listen to the Mug Off. Oh, thanks. Great podcast. I'll put a hyperlink in the show notes. This you can jump on straight through and listen to. Cam and I have been on it many, many times, so check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of laughs. We've got some all-time apps from the, from the both of you. A lot of laughs Very, on that show. One of the funniest freaking podcasts. Have you got anything else you want to plug? Uh, no, I think that's good. Yeah, just uh, listen to the mug off. It's pretty good. Check that shit out. Yeah. I'll be doing a show for Sydney Comedy Festival. I'm sure you are. Or whatever. Uh-huh. Buy yeah. tickets to that. That's Keep it. Keep your yeah. eyes peeled. Yeah, go see, yeah, go see Jared McGowan live. He's such a funny stand-up comedian. Go see me live too. I'm not too bad. I'm not too shabby up there. Yeah, it gets a few laughs. Yeah. <laughs> Get a couple of chuckles up there as yeah. well. <laughs> uh, follow Alexi and I on social media. I'm at I am Cameron James. Alexi is at This Is Alexi. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patreon, obviously. We want you to do that. If you're not doing that, it would be fucking awesome for us. And the next episode we're going to be doing in this miniseries is the Catherine Bigelow 1995-made, 1999 set. The movie is Strange Day. So track that one down and check it out. It's a very cool little flick. Uh, This is such a cool series, man. I I begged Cam to come on as soon as I saw it. I'm like, this is all such a good idea. Like, all these flicks are amazing. It's our era. Our era. era, great to go back and sometimes cringe and sometimes be reawakened to something that I actually really like. Yeah. Now let's all get out of here and go in Steve Shrimper's brain. What do you yes, reckon? Yes, let's do it. <laughs> Jump in and I pray he's eating a meatball sub as oh, I his brain. I like your chances. 